0: Thank you so much. If you have your Bibles or your scripture journals, uh, Galatians 3, we're going to go to the end of Galatians 3 and into Galatians 4. Um, for those that are still looking for um, scripture uh, journals, we have more now. Uh, we've been trying to keep up with the demand, and that is not easy, and that is a wonderful problem to have. Uh, There's so many people getting into the scriptures. In fact, parents, uh, your kids are joining us, your teenagers joining us, I should say. Um, So I'd encourage you, just spend three bucks, get your students a scripture journal, and have this as a point of conversation. Grab one of the bookmarks, use the SOAP acronym to dive into the scriptures. Get yourself in the pattern of reading the scriptures. And if you need help, we have got on our website, uh, kfirstorg Bible, uh, there's some free resources to utilize or on the YouVersion app, on our sermon notes, we always put a corresponding devotional that goes along with the message. So every week, we've been putting a Galatians Bible study in that. We have multiple ways to get you into scriptures because you need to read the scriptures for yourself. Don't let me read them for you. I can read them to you, I can't read them for you. Read your scriptures. Um, please keep me in prayer. And uh, we've got a small team from KFIRST joining a bunch of other people over in Israel. We take off tomorrow. And um, just uh, pray for health, pray for strength. I believe the weather is going to be in the mid 70s all week. Should have said that at the end before I preach. And part of me felt bad, but that's a lie. I don't feel bad. Not one iota. Um, it's gonna be. It's gonna be amazing, and I hope uh, to send you a greeting from Israel uh, next week. Um, if you would look up at the screens, we have been reading together uh, something that our, our staff wrote um, that is encapsulating the heart. Of the book of Galatians. I have been reading this on a daily basis multiple times a day, especially during stressful points, uh, frustrating points of my day, just to just kind of steady, steady my own heart. So would you read this along with me? I live by trusting in Jesus, who loves me and gave his life for me, so I might live free and abundantly in him. I daily Follow and trust in the Holy Spirit who leads me to love God and others for the benefit of those in Christ and those who have yet to know him. I walk in humility, recognizing my imperfections, and give grace to everyone in their pursuit of Christ. Today, I surrender my life again to Jesus, allowing his character to be shown through me, more and more. So my life continually invites people into the family of Christ. Amen. We have been navigating through this awesome book of Galatians. Um, In fact, I had uh, stumbled upon um, on social media. It's amazing what you stumble on on social media. Um, This one was actually good. Uh, Every time we go to Washington, D.C., we're going to go there for Thanksgiving. Uh, We we normally go into D.C. through the subway system, and you always see like subway maps, and you're trying to decide which direction to go. This had come up, and it's hard to see from down there the detail on this. Somebody created what looks like a subway map. These are the missionary journeys of Paul. Uh, created like a subway map. And if you look up in the gray area, this is where Paul goes to the area that we know as Galatia. And so this was on his very uh, first as well as his second missionary journey um, and navigated through this area that we are reading about. And so we see this is where he would have written in the book too. You see that he has passed through Galatia a few times. Again, that's the gray area. Um, I might post this on my Facebook a little bit later for those that... Have any interest in anything like this, but it's uh, it's really a fascinating take on uh, where Paul had planted churches, where he revisited places, and especially as you're reading through the scriptures, it helps you kind of put a little image to some of the places that he is talking about. Um, And so we've been talking a lot about um, faith in Christ being our justification, the word justification being made right before God. And we talk a lot about salvation, but I want to give you just something very simple to help you understand, especially for some churchy terms, uh, what do we mean by salvation? Because there are what we can call dimensions of salvation. There are three dimensions of it. First, there is uh, salvation over our past. Uh, We've used the term justification, and you will see it over and over in the book of Galatians. We are made right. All of your mess of your past. Some of you have messier pasts than others. That's all good. Uh, We can sit and compare who has the messier past, but the fact is we all have mess. All of us have a mess and God can make that masterpiece out of our mess and he does it because of the cross and the resurrection and Jesus has justified us even though we have the rotten past, we have sin. And then we've got something called sanctification that is salvation in our present that we are discovering day by day. We are being sanctified. We are being saved daily as we follow Jesus, becoming more and more like Jesus. And that is the The essence of today's message is every day you and I are to become more like Jesus. And I'm just going to tell you some days I succeed. It's not every day I succeed at it. Turn to your neighbor and say, You don't succeed at it every day. Turn to your neighbor and say, But you're getting better. So apparently last week, somebody, I said, I said, turn your neighbor and say, you're not perfect. And somebody said, don't tell me, I already know. Well, so we've got justification, sanctification, then we have glorification, that's the future. When we step into glory, we step into the place where the Lord makes all that was wrong completely right, that he wipes away every single tear. Uh, we get into the place where there's no more pain, there's no more shame, there's no more dealing with the flesh, there's no more Dallas Cowboys, there's no more the mess of this world, no more New York Yankees, uh, no more Patriots, I'm sorry. I'm going to get going on stuff and I can't, but these are the dimensions. And that's why when we think about following Jesus, we got to be more than finding. We have to be following because God wants to take us on a road of sanctification because justification is once and for all. We don't have to be saved again. We saved, but justification is once and for all. Salvation is more and more. It's every day. It's waking up and choosing, I will follow Jesus today and I want his image in me more and more. And so I wanna get into this idea of sanctification. It is a fancy schmancy, The churchy word that we sometimes can throw around and not understand—that not everybody gets what the word sanctification means—and I want to help you understand it with the crux and the essence of this message. But there's because I want you to understand about salvation. Salvation is more than escape from hell. It includes the process of daily being made more like Jesus. You remember that great Christian game, Monopoly? always brought the best Christian in me, always made me the most Christ-like, which is a lie. I used to hide money underneath my board so nobody thought I had money. (laughs) Y'all know my secret now. Um, I used to make deals. You can land on my property for free three times if you trade me that, and people always fall for it. I rock at Monopoly. And in Monopoly, you can get out of that get out of jail free card that if you land and go to jail, you can get out absolutely free, but we can't treat salvation. To treat salvation as merely, I don't have to go to hell, is to cheapen the grace of God. Because it's more than hope for someday, it's hope for today. And God has brought you into justification, but don't let it stop there. Because he wants to take and work such a work in your life that the Spirit of God helps you to step into this process of following Jesus and becoming more like Jesus more and more and more every single day. Uh, I was reading some thoughts from a memoir by a man by the name of John Paul Stevens, who was a retired Supreme Court justice. And he, he would talk about how the robes that he would put on weren't, it just really wasn't him. Like he would put on the Supreme Court robe... And it never felt like it was innate. It felt very foreign to him because it wasn't him. It wasn't like he put on a robe and then he went out to eat with his friends. And when he couldn't get a word in around the table, he then slammed the gavel on the Applebee's table and said, everybody shut up, order in an Applebee's and let me speak now. No, because when he left, he took off those robes because that would have been weird um, that he'd show up into his home with the robes, show up to Applebee, show up whoever in the home. He, he would take it on and he would uh, put it on and he would... Would take it off, put it on so he lived out something, but then he would take it off. And there is something that Paul is trying to get at in this portion of scripture that says that this Christ centeredness is something that is not innate inside of us, like naturally. There's a part of us that wants to do our own thing. So, therefore, like these robes for a Supreme Court justice, there's something that we have to put on. So, look here, chapter 3, verse 26 says this, if I get the right chapter, that way it won't seem weird. It says, for in Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. For just as many were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Those are the words. There is a choice to put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And I mean that the heir as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to elementary principles of this world, but... When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son, born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. a perfect time to preach that, adoption month. And because you are sons, God had sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Man, this is a powerful portion for which Paul says that we have got a choice, and I believe it is a daily choice to put on Christ. To show up, to wake up, and to put on Christ, to put on his sonship, his glory, the position that he has given us, his life in us. Now, and when we're thinking about our illustration of the Supreme Court justice, we look at his robe, and his robe is merit-based. He earned it. He earned the robe. Um, There is education, there's experience, there's opportunities, there's the nomination and the voting. It was merit-based. And so therefore, that merit-based got him to uh, to, to wear that robe for the position for which he got. And that is where most of our identities seem to come up in this world, is we have earned an identity through some sort of merit, through some sort of accomplishment, through some sort of act. Now, what is so wild about this terminology that paul uses this these words in christ is this identity that you get to put on is not merit-based based upon what you can do if i give enough in the offering i'm now in christ if i serve in Kfam, i get to put on christ Paul is saying, you're not putting it on based upon your merit. This is what's kind of wild about this. The in Christ doesn't doesn't come from your merit. It comes from somebody else's merits. It comes from Christ. And so often we use the word Christian. I've learned that I'm not the biggest fan of the word Christian any longer. Most of the reason is because I don't know what it means anymore according to how people use it. Well, I'm a Christian, but blankety-blankety-blank. Well, this person's a Christian. Well, this politician's a Christian. We use Christian as no longer an identity but a crowbar to get an agenda in place. Paul doesn't use Christian. And in fact, it was never really fully supposed to be used as the way we identified each other. Paul always uses a term, and we've already read it this morning, and the words are in. Christ that's what he always utilizes is in Christ if you are in Christ I am in Christ if we are in Christ that's the terminology that's why I prefer Christ follower as opposed to Christian Christ follower means I follow Jesus Christian I'm just associated with something in order to get something I am in Christ and there's not just an identity but there is something that follows that and so the question is what does it mean to be in Christ I'm so glad you asked me that question We're going to answer that this morning. So if you're taking notes and if you've got your scripture journals, just simply write down one, two, three. We're going to do a simple message. One, two, three. One for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just kidding. Uh, It's Bible college jokes. This is what we're going to give you so we together can not just understand that we are justified, but we ought to be sanctified living in Christ. What does it mean to be living in Christ? Number one, write down this. It's my identity in Christ. Christ. My identity in Jesus. It's where I find who I am. I am in Christ. Verse 28 of chapter three says this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. What Paul is not doing now, I've seen agendas trying to manipulate this scripture in order to say, we can just get rid of all genders. We can just get rid of all titles. We just get rid of all of that. They don't matter any longer. And I would say you're missing the point of this. The point of this is not to take away a gender. The point of this was not to take away position. It was not to take away your nationality. It was for people to recognize that they are not the pure primary substance of who you are. They are not how we actually formed our identity. We, I mean, these, look look at those. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female. Paul gives a very simplistic view on how we form identities. We form identities based upon economic status. I didn't even know about that till I got in middle school. I went to middle school in a very affluential neighborhood and all of a sudden I became known as the trailer park kid. Why? Because I didn't live in their neighborhood and I was a kid from the other side of the wall. We had a wall around our trailer park. You're, you're, and I'm like, well, I'm still Dave. But we, we look at economics, blue collar, white collar, no collar, whatever type of collar, we make labels and levels based upon economics or education. Well, I assume you, you, you've got your master's. Nope. I, I assume you've got your doctorate. Not whatsoever. But you're going to get it. Not at all. <laughs> and I'm not anti-education. I've got my degree. That's great. That's fine. But, but there's so often I'll get in conversations and we can make judgments on somebody's substance based upon their education levels or their nationality color of their skin, their background, their accent. We make distinctions, or we look at somebody's age, um, and we make, we, we make assumptions based off of, well, they're millennial, they're a Z-er, they're a boomer, or God forbid, they're an Xer. I'm an Xer. Uh, we got our own issues. But we can look, and we can look around the church, and instead of seeing one body, instead of seeing it as the way Christ would see it, as we are in Christ, we begin to look and say, wow, they've got a lot of these type of people. This church is that type of church. I have people ask me, what type of church is K first? I don't know. <laughs> Were you, a young or old church? Yep. <laughs> Tradition or contemporary? What's your definition of either? I heard you're Pentecostal. Yes. So you handle snakes and swing from chandeliers? Of course. <laughs> we do it at the same time with roller skates on. There's some old school Christian jokes there. (laughs) What we love to do is label, not in order to identify, but usually in order to control. Because labeling is a form of power, whether we like it or not. Because if we're not careful about labeling, we're either trying to look for people to attract to themselves to our tribe, or we're looking to keep people away. And Paul... He's not saying that your ethnicity, that your gender, that your job, it's not that they don't matter, but they are all secondary next to Jesus. We talked about that two weeks ago. They're secondary. Jesus, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, I was reading about this way, where he says that if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself and, and follow me. You gotta hate your parents, hate your family, even hate yourself and follow me. And it sounds weird when you read the scriptures, that says, honor your father and mother, but Jesus says, go hate your parents. But you love the Lord your God and love others as you love yourself. And then Jesus says, you got to hate yourself. And Jesus is not really telling you to hate yourself. He's actually using a rhetorical device and a conversation. And what he's trying to say is, listen, those things that you thought were your defining factors are now so secondary to me that it seems like you reject them or you are rejecting them. I I see this all the time in marriage because scripture says that man and woman must leave his father, mother, and cleave. I love that word cleave, to his wife. The idea is you are rejecting, or in the rhetorical way, hating your parents and leaving and being with your kids. Now, hate is such a strong word. In the English language, we think of one thing. But the idea is this, is I am devoted to one direction so much, so much, that it pales in comparison, this pales in comparison to this. I am no longer letting this be my defining factor, Jesus is. Again, I love my parents. I love Helen and Linda, they're watching live. I love you guys, you're wonderful, you're great. But I turn toward Jesus because Helen and Linda are no longer my defining factor. It's Jesus. And this is what Paul is doing. He's trying to pull people away from the defining factors to say it's all about Christ first. And the defining factors come secondary. This is what it's about. Paul is, is setting aside the differences because he's trying to say this, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, um, male, female, he's trying to say every single one of you are all free and you're all cherished. You are equally free in Jesus and you are equally cherished before Jesus. There's no haves and have nots before the throne of God. You're all free in Jesus. That in this community, in this culture that we see in the book of Galatians, that there was discrepancies. Well, they're a servant and I'm a master in a misogynistic culture. Well, we're males, and those are the females. In this culture, we are the Jews, God's people, they are just the Gentiles. Paul sweeps the leg from all of that, and he says this. It doesn't matter what your secondary factor is, you are all free in Jesus Christ and you're equally cherished before God. There are no favorites over here. We're all loved by Jesus Christ. Let me tell you this, parents, we are at our best when we love our kids equally, when we don't play favorites. I have not a lot of amens on that. No, I got a favorite. (laughs) We are at our best. Now, I love my kids equally. I just love them differently because they have different love languages. My kids, they don't have more or less from me. They just get different from me. And because I spend time with Ethan doing something, doesn't mean I do the same thing with Cammie. I spend time with Cammie. we're sitting together watching the British baking show the other day, that great Christian show. Ethan, that would be miserable for him to sit and watch the British baking show. We spend time differently, even though I love them equally. But so many of us spend time comparing ourselves with somebody else's status, thinking that they are more loved than God. Let me say this this morning. God loves you as much as he loves others. Some of y'all need to write that in your scripture journal. God loves me as much as he loves other people. He loves me just as much. This is what Paul's saying in verse 28 that you you can create all these distinctions that are secondary. But if we can look and say, we are all one, we are equally freed, we are equally loved, we're equally embraced. You do not have to diminish others in order to get God to love you more. In fact, I wrote it this way. Other people are not a threat to you being recognized and loved by Jesus. You don't have to rip somebody apart. You don't have to position yourself in front of them in the service. Well, if I stand in front of them and hold my hands higher, God will see me first. If I worship louder, God will notice me first. How often are we competing with other people because we see them as a threat in the kingdom of God? Nobody is going to take God's attention from you. He's a big God. He's a loving God. His love is not going to run out on somebody and not have enough for you. You don't have to worry And Christ followers, we are not rivals to compete for a prize, but we are participants in a common life of following Jesus. Man, some of y'all need to write that down and highlight that. That as Christ followers, we are not rivals with each other. We don't have to rip apart each other. We don't have to rip apart other churches. Man, I grieve the amount of times that we Christ followers, let me just say it this way, we Christians can rip apart other denominations, other Christians, in order to make a spectacle of them. And really, you know what it does? It makes a spectacle of Jesus that should not be seen. We are just devouring each other, competing with one another. But what if we had a Christ follower mindset that says this that I may, I do not have to agree with somebody on everything, but I do have to see that we are not competing, but we are participants. We are together on this to see the kingdom come and the will of God be done. That's why I don't have to compete with the churches around here. We don't have to compete. I just had lunch with one of our local pastors this past week, and we hugged before, we hugged after. I'm a hugger, and I don't think he's a hugger, but we, we, I made him be a hugger. And we just sat back, and, and, and one of the first things that we said to each other was, we don't get together enough. You know what he said to me? He goes, I just need to repent before you that I haven't reached out more in the past 10 years to you. I said, you know what, dude? I'm going to repent to you because I can't expect something that I haven't been given. And I loved just sitting and supping with him. Supping, how old am I? Uh, eating with him. And just enjoying talks about the kingdom. Because we are in a common life of following Jesus. Participants in one family. We are all equally loved. God does not love the Gentiles more than Jews, the Jews more than Gentiles, the masters and the servants, the men and the women. There is no one person in this room more loved than God. Let me say this, that God can't love you any more than how much you're loved now. That's how immense his love is for you. Secondly, So we have got our identity in Christ. Secondly, we get to our imitation of Christ. You wanna know what sanctification looks like? You start with your identity, but you begin to have your imitation of Christ. Uh, Verse number 27 of chapter three. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, having put on Christ. This is important right here. The words having been baptized into and put on. Circle that in your scripture journals because there is a massive illustration that's being identified. Um, Ancient culture, when they would get baptized, what they would do is they would wear their old clothes into the baptism. When I grew up, we had these white robes we'd, we'd put over everybody and people would get baptized in white robes. And we go into, uh, see on Tuesday, I believe it is, we're going to the Jordan River. We're going to be baptizing people in the Jordan River. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have these white clothes. But ancient cultures, I begin to read that some cultures would wear their old clothes in and they would get baptized. And when they come up out of the water, symbolizing I have gone into Christ and when they came out, they would strip off their old clothes and put on white clothes as if the I am not the creature that walked into there. I have been baptized into, and now I am putting on Christ. This is what Paul is talking about. And this idea of putting on on Christ implies two things. Number one, it implies the closeness to Jesus. There are very few things that you have right now that are closer than your clothes. Something maybe you've never thought about. You're putting on Christ, you're keeping him close, but secondly, It's practicing his presence. This is a term that we used to utilize years ago. We would talk about not just recognizing the presence of Jesus, but we want to practice the presence of Jesus. What this is saying is this, is I consider his presence, I consider his closeness, and I live in such a way that his life is seen in mine. That is practicing the presence of Jesus. Many of us know that he is Emmanuel, God with us, But many times we forget that there's more than just recognizing the presence of Jesus. We ought to practice the presence of Jesus. There ought to be an imitation of Jesus in our life and it is a daily thing of, Lord, baptize me into your love and today I wanna put on Christ and I wanna put into practice the presence that I am recognizing. Because of this, being in Christ, get a hold of this, means that every resource is available to you that was available to Christ. In Christ means that every resource that was available to Jesus is available to you. Have you ever thought about that? When Jesus is on this earth, every resource that he had is available to you. Jesus had scriptures. Oh, he didn't have the New Testament, but hey, we have scriptures. Jesus had prayer. We've got prayer. Jesus had the spirit. Guess what you've got? You've got the spirit. Jesus Turn down the full volume in his heart, the love of the Father. Guess what we could do? Turn up full volume the love of the Father. Some of us are so busy turning up the full volume of what social media is saying, or what somebody else has said about us, about what, what work has said, what the news have said. But what if we were a people to practice the presence of Jesus that I not only knew that Jesus was with us, but we could turn up the full volume of what he has said about us, what he has spoken about us, and we can begin to engage in that which he has called us to. How about this, don't give up. Don't give in to what you face, press into what you possess. Stop giving into what you're facing. Yeah, but it gets discouraging giving in to what you're facing. It's easy to give in to what you're facing, but some of us need to realize that even though we are facing something, it does not compromise the spirit that you possess. Man, if you've given your heart to Jesus, you've got the spirit of God. I've got the spirit, yes we do, we've got spirit. How about you? Don't, no, don't, it's terrible. We've got something in us that the scriptures say the same spirit that raised Christ from the what? Grave lives in you. Stop giving in to what you face and start pressing into what you possess. Practice the presence of Jesus. Put that into practice. It's the idea that every single day, sanctification, if it means more and more, it doesn't just happen naturally. You've got to press into it. It's not about just waiting for Jesus to take over. Listen, the song Jesus Take the Wheel, it's not truth. <laughs> Some of y'all need to take the wheel when Jesus is giving you the direction. Some of you are taking your hands off, and no wonder why you keep crashing into stuff. You keep running over your spouse. Jesus didn't help me today, it's his fault. Stop giving into what you face and start pressing into what you possess. Give in to what the Lord has put inside you and press into it and allow that life to be sanctified to look more and more and more like Jesus. Well, how long till I'm like Jesus? Until the glorification takes place. Because I don't know about you, it's a daily decision. And times it's a moment by moment decision of following Jesus. Lastly, number three. Being in Christ means our identity in Christ, the imitation of Christ. And then lastly, I love this, our participation with Christ. He just doesn't send us off. He participates with us and we with him. Our participation. God himself through Christ experienced the demands of humanity. Look at what Galatians says. It says that he came, was born of a woman under the law. I love that he came under the law so we could rise above. He tasted of our humanity so that we could taste of his divinity. He tasted of our chaos so you and I can have peace. He tasted of of our brokenness so that we can taste healing. I love that about Jesus. He came under so that we could rise up. He participates with us and he begins to speak into our life. And I love the verbiage, the legal verbiage that is taking place here in the book of Galatians chapter 4. And it says, receive adoption as what? Sons. What I love about the gospel is this. The gospel is not, you're forgiven, now go. The gospel is this, you are forgiven, now live as a son. He participates with us. We just love to look at people and say, go sin no more. Go stop doing that. Jesus just doesn't wind us up and release. He says, go now live as a son. Now, Now this is important to point out in the book of Galatians because quite, quite often, because written in a very much a misogynistic, man-centered culture, often I will throw in words like, go live as a son and daughter. Create something a little bit more, I would say gender inclusive because of the nature of the context, but to do this in this moment is actually selling this short. Because the idea of being a son, I mean, look here. Verse one, I meant that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians, managers, until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness came, God sent forth his son, born of the woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Circle that. And because you are sons, circle that, God has set the spirit of his son into us hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Four times, Paul uses the word son and everything in me wants to say sons and daughters, but actually I would be doing a disservice to the scripture because when we read sonship, Paul is not identifying gender as much as he's trying to identify a legal term. Write down the word heir, H-E-I-R. You are receiving adoption as heirs. And it wasn't to single out just boys, but there's a reason why Paul says there's no longer the divisions. You're all heirs. And it doesn't seem like much to you in 2019, but to, to a Gentile in 2019, to a servant in 2019, let's really get down to it, to a female in that day and age. This was culture shattering. Because if you were an only child, you were a female, you were never included as an heir, an, inher- an inheritor. You had to find someone to be married to and they would inherit because they were a man. A female could not own the land and inherit the land. It belonged to somebody else. And what Paul said in this statement is Daughters, you don't have to become a son, but guess what, daughters? Because of the work of Jesus, you are no longer excluded, you're an heir. You have the same rights of sonship as a male. Gentiles, I know you're not Jewish, but you don't have to become Jewish in order to become a part of the family. Servants, you don't have to stop the role that you're in. You just have to recognize that you are in heir. You see, if this, was not, if this was not an inheritance, you would have to white-knuckle it, trying to grasp it so you wouldn't let go. But listen, Paul says, you don't have to white-knuckle anything. You are an heir in Christ Jesus. God sent his son that we might have the identity of sonship. God sent his spirit to do the work of sonship. And when you read the word sonship, it is actually less gender-specific, as you think. It's not about being a man. It's all about being an heir. You are now full Rights inheritance of the glory of God. The inheritance of God's glory. It's not for just Jews any longer. It's not just for the halves with the masters. It's not just for the males of society. Paul says the inheritance is for everybody, anybody, regardless of economics or nationality or gender. It is for everybody. You're all an heir. I wrote this down this week. The work of the Son declares you as an heir. It is the work of the spirit that helps us to live as an heir. I want that to sink deep because some of us, we've understood the work of the son has declared us to be an heir, that we are inheritors of the glory of God, but we live our lives as a slave. God hasn't called you to live as a slave. He's called you to live as a child of God, not a slave to opinions, a slave to thoughts, a slave to a burden that someone has placed upon you. He's called you to be an heir. And this morning is all about sanctification, is that invitation for the work of the Spirit, because some of us, we've understood that God has declared us an heir, but it's time for us to begin to operate in such a way that we begin to live our lives as an heir. Some of us need to give up some things in our life that we have been enslaved to, that we just say, well, that's just me, that's just me. No, that's secondary next to Christ. And anything that is over here that is not congruent with Christ doesn't belong with Christ. We live in such a way that points toward Jesus so that our lives live in imitation of him. Because sanctification is just not obedience; it's living more and more like the son. Being an heir is more than just walking in obedience and doing the the, the right do's and don'ts, but it's living in such a way that shows the son. I love what it says, verse six. He sent the spirit of his son crying, Abba Father. Back in the 80s, y'all remember the song, Abba Father? I'd sing it for you, but I would ruin it. The word Abba, it's an Aramaic term. And it's more than just a cool 70s band. It's, it's It's an Aramaic term that Jesus had utilized. But for a Gentile believers, Galatians, like why would they worry about a Aramaic term? because it was a word that was actually important to Jesus and it should be important to us. The word Abba, the most basic English word that we can come up with is daddy or papa. Why would he teach it? So it could transfer their relationship on how they actually saw the father, that we don't have to cower wondering if God loves us or not. I've never cowered before my, I think of my grandparents. I've cowered before my father before. Uh, But I'm telling you what, when I think of my grandparents, I think of my papas. I miss them terribly. And there's nothing like whenever I saw them just running straight up to them and just hugging their necks and because there's just something about the warmth of arms and the warmth of hands and the warmth of their voice that made them so approachable. And Paul says, listen, stop thinking that you're loved less than others. You're equally loved. And in fact, you're so loved by God, so equally cherished by God, that you can approach Him and not just say, Heavenly Father, Abba Father, Daddy God. And I don't know about you, I don't, I can't imagine giving God a nickname. <laughs> unless something was very appropriate. And this to me is the most appropriate way because the spirit of the son lives in us and we can approach him in brokenness. Say, Abba, Father, help me to recognize my position and help me to know how to live that day in and day out. Bow your heads with me.